read the other two books? Yes, I unfortunately have. I'm sorry. As to well that. as two other books she's written too. Yeah. How far are you along in Providence? Uh maybe halfway. Is it a so long, long book? They're all long books. <laughs> You're listening to First Chapters, a podcast from Grey Cat Books, with your hosts, Engineer Mike and Nina McNamara. Ever wanted to know if the first few pages of a book were good enough to continue reading? Will a book be engaging enough, or will it bore you to death? Then keep listening. The plot thickens. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hope you're uh, comfortable. Oh, you're and if not, doing get an NPR com- podcast. Yeah, if you're not, get comfortable. If you're in your car, maybe slide the seat back a bit. If you're at home, kick your feet up. You know, do whatever you can to get into the headspace that you need to fully consume holy practice mindfulness. What, what we're doing here when you're practice fully self-care. when you're fully engorged on what we're about to give you, be turgid like, with intellect. <laughs> That's for you, Doc. Turgify your intellect. This is first chapters with uh, engineer Mike and Nina McNamara. <laughs> Very right. judgmental author. All right, enough, enough NPR. There enough NPR speak. All right, all right. So this week we are discussing. The book Ancillary Justice by the author Anne Leckie. I believe her name is pronounced. Anne Leckie, yeah. It's a, sh- it's a short name. If it's Lekai, I apologize, but I don't think it is. We're going to go with Leckie. Leckie, And yeah. pronouncing names and addressing people is going to be a ah, theme. You have picked up on that in the two chapters of this book that you read. I didn't just pick up on it. It was slammed in my face. <laughs> That's true. not All pejorative. Right. We'll get into that in a minute. But a little bit of backstory. This is the book Ancillary Justice. While Nina and I have been talking about this podcast, this book has continuously come up. Nina has probably heard me mention the title Ancillary Justice a hundred times. This book is weighed... At a minimum. Yeah, this book has weighed heavily on my mind. Not so much because of the book itself, but more about the author's subsequent works and maybe a little bit about the author themselves or herself. Backstory with this is that I didn't know you had read Ancillary Justice until you read the sequels, and you would not shut up about the sequels Mm. because you said, I can't believe the author of Ancillary Justice wrote these two crap follow-up Well, yeah, we don't want to get into that just yet. To say this book is award-winning is an understatement. Of all the mm-hmm. books we've done on this podcast, and by uh, what what do you call like the freshman freshman author, or is it a freshman work? You know, the very first book that this, a, an author released. Well, yes and yes. It's okay, just, yeah, because yeah, yes. she had never been published no, before. The, that like not even short stories. One single short story that, that I that is actually an did amazing read. feat. Yeah, that for she yeah. Someone not only did she get published, this book blew the science fiction world's mind. It won the Hugo Award that year. It won the Nebula Award that year. It won the Arthur C. Clarke Award that year. Didn't win the Locus Award that year, but as we've talked about this podcast, I have a very low opinion of, of the Locus Awards. I'll, I'll get into Mike that. Mike is not a fan of democracy. I'm not a fan of Democratic Award. No, it's like, you know, <laughs> this book, Ancillary Justice, did not win the Locus Award, but the two subsequent follow-ups did. To find a female science fiction author who was that award-winning, swept the awards that year, I swear, you have to go back as far back in time to where you're talking about another author, like like the famous Ursula K. Le Guin. Put a pin in a- her. Exactly. You have My to go phrase. way back to like the late 60s, early 70s. A groundbreaking work that is just unlike anything else you've read up to that point. And I'm picking which novels to read in the past, and I come across Ancillary Justice, and it, it had been recommended to me. 
uh, by a few online reviewing sites. I read it and I felt the same way. I was like, holy shit, I have never read a novel like this. Where it mm-hmm. just straight out of the gate, first chapter, like we talk about this podcast, it's just amazing. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. The the world it sets, the way it's setting up that world, the thing that I like is I want to feel like I'm in an alien world that I'm unfamiliar with. I do not want to feel familiar in any way to what's going on. This book sets up like that. It's like, this is very much not a culture I'm familiar with. And even the main character is in the setting in a culture they're not super familiar with either. So that sense of alienness that I think I and a lot of other science fiction readers want in a book is in full force. Before we get we, into uh, that, okay. we have to do our segment. Oh, you're right, our new segment we're doing. Which yes, is, you're getting very excited about uh, talking. I know. Really, and yeah, I appreciate stuff. your enthusiasm, yeah. Yeah. but we have to do our segment. Our segment of... What are you reading this, this week? This week. So I'll, I'll go first. I'm also reading another book by Upton Sinclair. I'm reading Oil, the book that was the source material for the movie There Will Be Blood. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, holding up pretty well so far. Mm-hmm. I've only read one other novel by Upton Sinclair. I've read The Jungle. It took me about three years to read it. Not because I didn't like it. I was reading it. I got about 70% of the way through it. Something happened in my life and I stopped reading it and I didn't pick it up again for about two and a half years. Yeah. And then I picked it up, finished it, was done with it. Yeah. And Oil by Upton Sinclair, the exact same fucking thing has happened. Yeah. I, I've started reading it. Read about 70 pages of it. I'm loving what I'm reading so far. The way Upton Sinclair wrote a rich person who just kind of slammed their way through their environment without any care of what was going on. He could write characters like that very well. And then something happened, and I haven't picked up the book until right now as we're talking about it. Well, also, in your defense, Upton Sinclair's writing is kind of depressing. The Jungle is a big downer. To say the least, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's and a I would I would imagine, and based on the movie, I don't know how close to the source material the movie stays. Stand decently Similar? close. Similar? Okay, yeah, then yeah. it's probably a downer as probably. well. Probably. Upton Sinclair did not write happy novels. Man after my I own heart. Yeah. I'm surprised yeah. I haven't read more of Upton Sinclair. He's a good writer. For a writer who started writing books more than a century and 10 or 15 years ago his writing is super approachable for a reader today yeah you don't feel like you're reading writings of y'all like a, upton sinclair wrote the jungle in I think 1905 mm-hmm. when did dickens write a tale of two cities mid 1800s uh, or something 1870 it is yeah. that more old-timey feeling so if you're out there and you're scared of maybe picking up a classical novel because you may feel it's not approachable Something like The Jungle of Sinclair, super approachable. Pick it up. You can just start reading it like it's fiction that was released today. Sadly enough, the things he writes about are all too timely even today. That's a shame. So that's what I'm reading. Eh, Very depressing. (laughs) I'm also reading a depressing book. Oh, good. Uh, (laughs) I'm reading the novel The Luckiest Girl Alive by Jessica Nall. Mm. You may have seen this. This is a movie on Netflix. It made Mm -hmm. the round, I think, last September, October of 2022. Starring Mila Kunis. Who plays the uh, titular luckiest girl alive. So I I won't get too much into the plot of it, but uh, basically you know how much of a fan I am about... um, A bit, yeah. Fan of Miss Kunis? No, no. I I like her as an actor, but uh, I'm a fan of novels that that explore women and their trauma and, Ah. you know, past trauma and how that affects them today and and the like. I just finished a novel about a woman and her past trauma. Mm. This novel is about a young woman who has school trauma And she's left that in her past and her present is very upper middle class Manhattan, New York. So she's taking brunches and she's getting ready to marry this man in finance. 
And it starts off very American Psycho. Have, mm-hmm. have you read American Psycho? Yes, I have. Okay. And, and seen the movie. Yes. Which like, is apparently a very good adaptation. I read a lot of Brett Easton Ellis when I was really? in high school. Oh, yes. more than just American Psycho? Oh, yeah, very much so. Wow. Yeah, I was a big Brett Easton Ellis fan in, in <laughs> high school because I was an asshole. And, um, <laughs> and he writes about assholes. And he does. But he's a really good writer. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think common misconception of Brett Easton Ellis is that he is just this big edgelord. But mm-hmm. no, he does have a point with oh, the yes, stuff that yeah. he writes. Anybody who reads or watches American Psycho and thinks it's glorifying the main character is missing the fucking point. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, it starts off, the main character reminds me a lot of Patrick Bateman, like the female equivalent of her, which coincidentally, Mila Kunis played Mm -hmm. the female Patrick Bateman in American Psycho 2, which was, I know, right? Funny. Anyway. (laughs) I've never heard of this movie. But anyway. I'm I'm taking that it's not worth watching. It is not. Um... (laughs) So the main character in the novel, her name is Tiffany Finelli, and mm. it's spelled T-I-F capital A-N-I. That is her first name. That is not how you usually write names in no, the English No, but it's, it's written to be as obnoxious as ah, possible, but yes. she has moved on. But that's how, you know, she's mm-hmm. moved on, so she only goes by Ani, A-N-I. Ah, okay. And she desperately wants to marry her fiancé, who's like this rich yuppie in finance, so she can forget her past and move on. But the first chapter is her obsessively planning mm-hmm. her wedding, obsessively yeah. going over how skinny she is ah, and how yes. pretty she is and her expensive Mew Mew bags and all of that. And Mew I Mew. thought, oh my God, this is very American mm-hmm. Psycho. Interesting. And ah. I thought this character is obnoxious, mm-hmm. but I want to continue reading good. more. Good. Well, so, sounds like a good read. Yeah. And so like thought, well, I'm going to just, again, read the first chapter and mm-hmm. see where that goes. And yeah. before I know it, I'm like six or seven chapters deep. Sounds so. like a good book. Yeah. All right. Unlike Ancillary Justice, where I believe you only made it Two chapters. I only made two chapters into Ancillary okay. Justice. Okay, so we'll get to our questions at the end where, you know, I ask, <laughs> would, would you read more? But I'm feeling like the answer might be mm, no. You're so, leaning uh, into I'll, the right direction. A quick backstory about Ancillary Justice. This is not a book review podcast, but Ancillary Justice follows the journey of an individual who's called an ancillary. I believe it's pronounced ancillary. We've been pronouncing I, it. Ancillary I mean, Justice. Yeah, ancillary. Ancillary. Do we have to go back and re-record No, everything? we don't. We're just going to... That's gonna... fine. Okay, ancillary. <laughs> the main character is what's called an ancillary. Yes, there you uh, go. An ancillary, which is a human body kind of being taken over and controlled by a non-human intelligence. And in this case, the non-human intelligence is... It's not really considered just an it's AI. It's an alien presence, I thought. You'll have to read far more of the book to get it. All right, so first chapter was... Really good. Okay. Oh, okay. I really wow. liked the first chapter. You liked chapter. the first chapter. All right. Because it, again, like I've said on this podcast before, I like it when you can glean from at least the first chapter or two what's going on, like who the, the main character is, what the plot is loosely about, like you can get mm-hmm. a general outline of what that is. And I can kind of get that mm-hmm. from the first chapter. So I knew, I did not know that this was an alien presence. I knew right. something... Did you just think it was an unusual person? I didn't know what was going on. I just figured this was one person concerned about Mm -hmm. their fallen comrade or their fallen soldier. That's true. The idea of an alien presence didn't really come to mind until the very last paragraph where they said something about not being human. And I was like, oh, interesting. Let's read more. Okay. But in the first chapter, I don't know the name of the main character yet. They don't really have a name. Consider it like one finger of an organism that's been left behind. 
Therefore, it itself really doesn't have much of identity. Mm -hmm. And its actual identity is a thing that no longer exists anymore. This is wonderfully confusing. Wait until chapter two to go (laughs) into that. Okay, because that's not explored until chapter two. What's explored in chapter one Mm -hmm. is the issue of gender. Yeah, the issue of gender. Gender. The issue of gender comes up immediately. The language that the presence, I'm just going to call them the presence because I don't know. The individual, the protagonist. They are definitely a protagonist. Yeah. The protagonist. I don't want to call them the protagonist because then it makes me think, of tenant which just pisses me off <laughs> so no i'm gonna call it the presence or the main character yeah the main character talks about gender and says yes. in their language in their native language mm-hmm. which is really it's rach radchai yeah radchai okay call it, yeah. they don't have a means of distinguishing gender they no. are it's almost like hungarian so, As I've heard, yeah, yeah. not Hungarian. So, or Finnish. So, uh, Hungarian, gender, everyone yeah. gets the same gender-neutral pronoun. Yes. The only oh, issue is formality. Yeah, yeah. I looked this you up. Looked up I looked this okay, up. very interesting, yeah, yeah. The only issue with in Hungarian is formality, whether you address someone nice. as informal or mm-hmm. formal. Ah, neat. So I'm guessing that's the same in Radchai. yep. So as a result, the, the presence refers to everyone mm-hmm. by she, as her she. pronouns. Exactly. The problem, though, is that this planet that they're on, they are very specific. They're very touchy about mm-hmm. how you refer to them. Exactly. So yeah. they basically live on planet Florida. Florida. My pronouns are kiss my ass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> There's one sentence that I have seared into my brain. It's a sentence that when I read this, I was like, I'm going to love this. It was, I knew she was a male. And when I heard that sentence, I was like, oh, not only is this author doing some neat stuff with gender, but they are correctly separating gender and sex. Yeah. Which, if you can actually correctly do that, you get major fucking kudos from me. Because right. those are two different fucking things. But there's also another scene, probably a couple of pages later, where she has to... I'm sorry. They. Yeah, they. I don't know the presence's gender. It's she. Is it she? See, that's confusing. Because it's not exactly a person. Okay, now, again, don't <laughs> Good get too point. into that. Yeah. But in a couple of pages later, they're addressing a group of people mm-hmm. and they don't know how to address them. Yeah, they're having, because, this, they're having yeah, this confusion. They're confusing moment. because they say, I'm hoping that there are a couple of females in there. They're struggling over how yep. to address uh, the crowd. Yeah, it's a very human-like moment. Here's the line I wanted to read. Radchai don't care much about gender and the language they speak. My own first language doesn't mark gender in any way. This language we were speaking now did, and I could make trouble for myself if I used the wrong forms. It didn't help that cues meant to distinguish gender changed from place to place, sometimes radically, and rarely made much sense to me. So immediately when I, I started reading that, I'm like, I like what this author is doing. I like yes. what Anne Lackey oh, is doing. Yeah. They're doing some interesting stuff. But this is not a new concept. Like the issue of playing oh, with gender. Oh, no, of course not. Let's yeah. pull that pin back ah, and go to, to The Left Hand of exactly Darkness the by other... Ursula K. Le Guin. And I will be honest with you, Ursula K. Le Guin is an author that I greatly respected and I love what I she did so. with gender. I don't want to get canceled. Could not... <laughs> Could not jive with her writing. No, style. you did not like the left. No, hand it took me a long time to get through their left I hand don't, of darkness. Yeah. It's almost it's, what I call hard science. It is hard science fiction, yeah, yeah. and her writing style was because she passed away just a couple of years ago. Very dry. Very dry. Yeah. To me, she was like the female Arthur C. Clarke. Maybe Arthur C. Clarke was the male her. Let's let Ooh. do that. Oh, I know a lot of people are a big fan of her Earthsea novels, which mm-hmm. again I hated. I could not stand the Earthsea novels yeah. because I thought they were boring. You read, I believe you read one and a half. 
I don't remember how far I got. I just, I remember reading this. I'm like, this is so boring. Which is so sad because in the second novel, especially, there's a female character who has such an interesting life. When a male writer writes a a female character, oftentimes, and, and you're an author, correct me if I'm wrong about this, they oftentimes, they will lean heavily upon trauma in that female character's life as how to make that character interesting. Ursula K. Le Guin did not do that. It's a very common trope when writing a female character. So let me talk about chapter two. Chapter chapter two two of back of the book we were talking about, Ancillary Justice. Ancillary Justice. Mm -hmm. That's where it started to lose me. That's where it started to get very Ursula K. Le Guin-y and Mm -hmm. boring. So the second chapter jumps back in time. It jumps back in time 20 years. From the first chapter, I could kind of understand the threads of what Mm -hmm. the book was about. Okay. Okay. She's doing things with gender. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. (laughs) The book is about she's doing things with gender. Okay. That's the direction she's going Mm -hmm. with. And then it gets to chapter two. Okay. And that's kind of pushed aside. Yes, for yeah. what this alien presence mm-hmm. is. You find out what her job used to be. Yeah. I didn't know that. Ah, not having read the book in a while, is it clear that you've jumped 20 years back That is, because... It's like at the end months. of the first chapter, it's like record scratch. You may be thinking how That's I exactly got here. It's what exactly it was. like that. Yeah. Which is fine. I don't mind a flashback. That's yeah. fine. Then it starts talking about the ancillaries. Remember what I said to you just before we started this uh-huh. podcast? <laughs> you know what I love more than books about rape? It's books about oh. metaphoric rape because that's exactly what the annexations really? are, right? Like that's there's so much description about the, we're going to be annexing the humans here and uh-huh. they're, we're going to be forcing them to be ancillaries. I read that as a rape metaphor. And see, that's why I love talking about books with someone else because you may see things that I didn't yes. see. Yes, and then, because they talk about that mutiny on one of the ships. Uh-huh. Which is weird because and I'm pretty they, sure the mutiny you're referring to happens actually a thousand years in the past. I don't know when I, all this I know, happens. Yeah, it's not quite clear. Yeah. From what I understand, this alien presence, Clearly. it's like a mothership and a bunch yes. of other ships. Exactly. It's an occupying force. And it's also yeah. in human form as well. Yeah. This ancillary is just basically like a human finger, which is one part of a very large intelligence controlling an entire starship. Which is forcing itself into humans, and humans Pretty that much, yeah. rebel against it yes. are murdered or... Not murdered, just kind of mind-wiped. Well, they're executed. Yeah. There's one ship that mutinies, mm-hmm. and then the humans that are deemed not viable oh, okay. for yeah, okay. yeah. ancillary yeah. work uh-huh. are, are executed, executed oh, yeah. and it, the others yeah. are forced into this whole... You, yeah, you learn as the reader very quickly rad, what's called Radshai culture. That's the culture yeah. that the main character comes from. Is a brutal culture. Yeah. I can only describe them, and you kind of learn in the second chapter and throughout the book, they're like a combination Roman Empire combined with religious theocracy. The priest is in the second chapter. Well, the priest too. is not Radshai. The priest character that you encounter in the second chapter is actually the people were, that were conquered by the Ratchai. Okay. Think of it as like the Romans going into a country, invading that country, taking over, but still kind of allowing the people in that country to worship their gods. Yeah. That's kind of what you're encountering there. This presence is literally everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> like another line from chapter two. As I still had ancillaries, I could be in more than one place at a time. Mm. I was also on detached duty in the city of Ors on the planet Shisurna under the command of Esk, Decade, Lieutenant On. Yeah, this presence is all over the place. Yeah. And it, it sounds, or I'm guessing they go from planet to planet. They're a ship in an army which goes from planet to planet, invading and conquering and Mm -hmm. subjugating the people. It's very interesting that you say that because typically 
in a book that uses rape as a metaphor or rape as a plot device, the main character is, you know, like, this is a tropey kind of way these books are written, getting revenge. Mm-hmm. When in this book, the main character, they are the one who has been you know, mind-wiping yes. people and invading them. Now, I'm talking about it in subtext. Here's where it's just clear text. Uh-huh. This is where the head priest, mm-hmm. okay? One esque will shoot me if you order it without mm-hmm. hesitation, but one esque would never beat me or humiliate me or rape me for mm-hmm. no purpose but to show its power over me or to satisfy some sick amusement. She looked at me. Would you? No divine, I said. What the priest, which is a priest of the subjugated people, what they're referring to in that part is that not all of this occupying force is made up of these ancillaries. There are some ships which do not have ancillaries, which are just all human staff, human crew, human soldiers. And what the subjugated person there is saying is that those soldiers are actually way more hard to deal with. They're mean people. They're unruly. this mind-wiped human that they're talking to, which is controlled by the ship, is actually way less brutal way less cruel, just completely the cold logic of a computer. One ask is here. So it is very interesting that you see rape imagery when the main character is both- They're a victim of it. They're both a perpetrator and a victim of it. Which is so, that is, see, that's why I love talking about this kind of stuff because they are both a victim and perpetrator of it. You are exactly right in that the intelligence in their head is the perpetrator of a Mm -hmm. rape. The body they are in is the victim of it. Yeah. And right now, that's all they are. Typically, the tropey way rape would be used in a story is the main character who's been wronged is going to get revenge. Yeah. When this main character doesn't have that kind of revenge to get. That's why I thought the title Ancillary Justice would Uh come in. See, that's interesting, though they are actually, the whole story is they are on a revenge quest. Yeah. But for a different reason. Okay, so it's not I spit on your grave style. No, it's... no. It, it's more like, I don't want to spoil the story because this is a story definitely well, readers will okay. read. Okay, well then, opinion. I will tell you this much. Uh, I'm not going to read past chapter two. Interesting. Uh, I find the, the subject matter interesting, but I mm. find the way it's told to be boring and, and mm. a tedious slog to go through. In chapter two, you kind of decided yeah, that? Yeah, chapter two, I'm just like, okay. So like, what's I'm happened s- at the end of chapter two? Uh, chapter two, uh, the alien presence was singing to children, I think it was. Yeah. Again, it was 19 years, <laughs> almost 20 years before the events of the chapter first chapter. One, yeah. Again, it reminded me so much of Ursula K. Le Guin's writing style. Yeah, it is very much like Yeah, it, very know, dry. The, the similarities between Anne Lucky and Ursula K. Le Guin for this one novel cannot be ignored. She wrote Ancillary Justice because she was bored with being a stay-at-home mom. For a stay-at-home mom to be bored one day and to pop out this novel blows... I think that's fantastic. You know, I'm not one of those writers who, who poo-poos says, no, you have to... You have to come from You have to come from talent. Yeah, blah, blah, you have blah, to be an English yes. major to do that. No, like, no. good writing can come from anywhere. Yeah. It's I, emotional, you as, know? As someone who's read a bazillion of novels, I sometimes love those novels, the freshman works by authors, because... Yeah. They will write things which are totally unlike anything else out there. But even more interesting mm-hmm. is that in 2005, she attended the Clarion West Writers Workshop where she studied under Octavia Butler. The Weed. Octavia Butler, yeah. Holy Octavia Butler shit. who wrote like the Xenogenesis series, yeah. Carnival series, and uh, Fledgling, which is... Another famous of... female science fiction slash fantasy writer. Yeah. yeah. And wow. yeah, like... I, I read that. I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah, interesting. So good for her. Uh-huh. She has a very interesting story. Mm-hmm. Like her backstory is fascinating. Mm-hmm. I don't care for this book. 
Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that she won't have other stories for me to read, possibly. And that is an interesting point for me to continue on. So that you go think ahead. maybe she has other stories to read. I have read at this point nearly five novels by Anne <laughs> Leckie, and I rarely say this. I wish I could unread them and get that time back. I'm very am, disappointed to hear that. I am so disappointed. I usually do not try to color other readers' minds and make them feel a certain way about a book before they read them. But I, I will tell any readers listening to this, if you want to read Ancillary Justice, read Ancillary Justice, and by the love of God, don't ever read anything else by Anne Leckie ever again. I know yeah. your feelings on Providence, oh, yeah. and I know your feelings novel. on her sequels. Yes, yeah. there are two follow-up sequels to this book They're called Ancillary Sword, and I don't remember the other one because honestly, I don't fucking care. The two <laughs> Should we se- look it up? The two, uh, no, I truly do not care. The two sequels to this book are so unlike Ancillary Justice, I can almost swear they are written by a different friggin' author. Ancillary Mercy. There you go, Ancillary Mercy. Please, someone give me... I felt like I needed Mercy reading that book. <laughs> Ancillary Justice, the first book here, is a perfect space opera romp through different cultures different planets it jumps from different timelines you know there's the main timeline in quote-unquote present day there's a timeline 20 years in the past which is kind of like the flashback and then there's like another little timeline from about thousand years past because the main character is is thousands of years old they are an intelligence that controls a starship and they are so old they almost don't remember how old they are mm-hmm. at least they know they're at least two thousand years old most likely they're probably about another thousand or two thousand years older than that too Mm-hmm. So they've been around a long time, this main character. It's an incredible first novel. And the two subsequent novels, which follow this novel, you follow the same character as they travel to one place at the beginning of the second book, and they never leave that location ever again for two more long books. So it's like a bottle episode. It's of a, a bottle episode where nothing interesting happens. Mm, that's, yeah, and that's a shame. probably one of the biggest letdowns of any book I've ever read in my Do they life. do anything interesting with they gender? They do. No, no. There's no interesting gender stuff going on. There's no, there's not like they gender. go to these other two places and there's some interesting shit that happens there. No, nothing interesting really happens. They basically go to a space station around a planet and they just kind of hang out there for two long books worth of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't even know what the point of the two books even are. I, I, besides, clearly, the author had a contract and had to pop out some books. On Goodreads, I rated the first book, Ancillary Justice, five stars. The next two books, I think I, if I could have rated them 2.5 stars, I would have. I think I could only do three. So I did three just out of respect for the author. Yeah. But honestly, I should have probably rated them like two stars out of five. They're just... just it was very sloth- nice of you. <laughs> yeah, because I, I have so much respect for the first book. Mm-hmm. Now, this author has read like another book, Providence, which I'm reading slowly because the book puts me to sleep after about three or four pages of it. I use it as a, a very good sleep aid. There was one other book this author actually wrote called The Raven Tower. Yes, this is on here. It's yeah. a non-answer. Which, which was actually not that long ago. It was like maybe two, three years ago and like he wrote this novel. 2019. It's completely separate completely different setting doesn't take place in space not a space opera novel i kind of liked this book Mm -hmm. it was the first thing Anne lucky had wrote in a long time that i jive with because you learn the first four pages of this book that the narrator is once again not human 
and that they're actually a sort of omnipresent God that sees all, knows almost all, but can't do anything. Mm -hmm. And it's, to me, a fascinating viewpoint to write a book from. Kind of a neat little book I read. Very, very interesting little book. Mm -hmm. But I want more of this universe. And and I, reading a few other reviews on of Ancillary Justice, or sorry, the subsequent novels of Ancillary Justice online, I wasn't the only one who had this opinion. There were mm -hmm. other uh, reviewers that were like, I've never read a sophomore follow-up novel more disappointing mm -hmm. than, than the sophomore follow-up novels of Ancillary Justice. One very good quote by somebody, they compared it to Pride and Prejudice in Space. They're having a lot of tea ceremonies. <laughs> like, for some reason, you can clearly see the author loves tea time, and there's lots of talk of tea. No, I swear no. there are multiple long sections of this book, multiple pages, where they just talk about tea sets. I am not making this up. That's adorable. It, it is. I wish it was adorable. It was mind-numbing to try to read through. Like, I can understand one weird digression in a book where an author, you just want to write about some weird thing. Yeah. I'm fine with that, especially when you're writing science fiction. It, like I say, it creates some color for your, your reader to feel like they're in a weird place. But don't do that multiple times. You're way more studied in literature than I am. I'm just a reader. I don't know anything about the science and history of writing books. Has there been other authors that they just wrote one incredible thing and just never wrote anything worth a damn ever again? Well, I mean, Harper Lee. The Harper Lee is a very good example. Who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird and then just nothing. Say another author that did have follow-up novels, but they were just incredibly different quality. Or is that just not a common thing that happens? No, it, it is a common thing that happens. Like Catra in the Rye, that author? Oh, are you yeah. talking about uh, J.D. Salinger? Yeah, the JD, was that J.D. Salinger's life too? Yeah, I think he, he only wrote the one book. Oh, wow, okay. I guess you could talk about She Who Must Not Be Named and her non-Harry oh, Potter yeah, novels. Yeah, but she had quite a few successful novels that people loved. I mean, know, outside yeah. of her, you the know, Boy Wizard series. Yeah, yeah. but I, I'd still count that as more than one book. She had enough ideas to write multiple novels in that world mm -hmm. where Anne Leckie, you know, the author we're talking about today, just had the one book mm -hmm. and that was it. And there was nothing more. She was like, I'm done. Sorry, publisher, I have to write two more novels. Okay, I'll, I'll try. I don't really have any story. That's what I feel yeah. like what happened. It's so weird. And it then, sounds like this doesn't happen very often. Again, we can bring up he who should not be named Terry Goodkind. He That's wrote... a pretty good example. Terry Goodkind. Well, someone yeah. who, they had a series that they wrote, Terry Goodkind, in, in the Sort of True series, which... Maybe we'll do one day in the story. I, I don't know. We might do some. I've already read them. Yeah, you've already read. You, did you read at least the first three? I read all three of them. Oh, all, wow. The okay. first three. The three. And I started reading the fourth. I don't know you what happened. Yeah. yeah. You did the right thing. I probably, yeah, yeah, I think I just yeah. forgot to. T Terry Goodkind is a writer who, in my opinion, had a three book series in him, and that was it. Yeah. And that's the only thing he's ever wrote worth a damn in his life. But for some reason, was given contract after contract after contract to write more books. And they were all terrible. They were all garbage. One more quick thing before you ask me the final question, we mm -hmm. wrap this up because we've been going on for a while. Yeah, and we can rant yeah. about disappointing follow-up novels. For a long Books are different from movies in that publishers aren't counting on huge box office turnout. Mm. They're not counting on like today, billion dollar profits mm -hmm. and the like. So if a, a follow-up novel doesn't do as great, yeah, it's going to be mm -hmm. disappointing and you will yeah. likely get 
dropped, but you can always write another one. It all depends on taste. There are the Stephen King fanatics who love everything that he's written except for the Dark Tower series. And then there are people who only love the Dark Tower series and don't love his more genre commercial fiction. So go ahead. Ask okay, me so the final question, the question, you've already answered, would you read more of this book? Do you think the first chapter of this book works as a first chapter? I do. Okay, good. I good. really do. I I didn't even talk about what was actually going on, which is the presence is saving their fallen comrade soldier. Almost reluctantly. Almost reluctantly. Almost reluctantly, yeah. You can tell that they're in danger. Mm-hmm. You notice they're very much in danger, but the main character is not super concerned with No, but you could tell that they don't want to be there and Mm -hmm. their presence is not welcome. And I want to know why. And then the very Mm -hmm. last paragraph, as Mm -hmm. I believe I've said, they reveal that they are not human. Mm. That's a page turner. Like, what? Wait, hang on. They're not human? Yeah. I understand this doesn't take place on our planet, Mm -hmm. but now I want to know more. So yeah, yeah, it's a page turner. So yes, this is a good hook. Okay. However, for me, I do not want to read past the second chapter Uh. because I did not feel like the writing style was engaging enough. Interesting. That'll be for our other podcast, Second Chapters, where we discuss, did the second chapter of the book (laughs) follow up the first chapter very well? That is Ancillary Justice. I'm glad we finally talked about because this book has been stuck in my mind for a very long time. I'm glad you got that out. You're no longer turgid. <sighs> I will no longer just... It has found its release. I need a cigarette. <laughs> Tune in next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to First Chapters, a podcast from Grey Cat Books. Your hosts were Nina McNamara and Engineer Mike. Our music was provided by Alex Productions and Virtua Jams. Check out our website at graycatbooks.com for links to our credits. Thanks again for listening. When we return at the beginning of Pop Medieval. Damn it, I always keep fucking want to say that. You need to stop that. <laughs>